Hello, and welcome back to the Philosopher's Stoned. We're here for yet another episode. It's been who knows how long, three years, I think, and we're back again. We just keep doing it. I'm hyped because I'm doing the introduction today. It's me, Sam Laboon, and of course, as usual, as always, joined by my co-host, Jordan Strauss. Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> that was very professional sounding, actually. Oh, that was, it, almost found, it almost sounded like this was oh, a so real sanctioned educational podcast there for a second. <laughs> like NPR oh, News are not just that radio. one that does the um, uh, the educational podcast. They're really good. They got a high. They got a big budget. Highly produced. Ah, yeah, but NPR, they've had they've had like the same hosts since I was a kid, and it's just weird. It's not NPR that I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of oh. um, Radio Lab. Radio Lab. That's what I'm thinking of. Could have been yeah. a Radio Lab podcast intro. I would have needed to be like cut off maybe six or seven more times by random audio clips to make it really Radio Lab. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, well, you're cutting out again, so I didn't hear what you said, but I agree. That's that's exactly right. Um, what's going on, Sam? It's been a week since we've spoken. What happened? What happened to you? Well, uh, last week. Um... I did like a ton of comedy the week before last week. Nice. So I decided, and then last week was Canada Day week. So I decided I'm just going to take the week off and write jokes for the whole week. Come and? in with some fresh material. So I did that. Um, all the jokes suck. <laughs> They're all terrible. Dude. Weeks, practically a whole notebook is just garbage. <laughs> I, uh, I'm going through the exact same thing right now. I've got like five jokes that I've been trying to work out for the last month and they're still very hit and miss. I'm still trying to figure out why they hit when they hit and why they miss when they miss. But I have faith that there's something in the premise there. So I'm just like, I've just been running this new this new like five minutes of stuff trying to figure it out and it's it's definitely getting somewhere but i don't it's definitely not like they're not good jokes yet hmm. yeah i can't remember who explained it to me or like who brought this up once but there it was like when you're trying to evaluate why a joke is working or not working there are three factors it could be you it could be the joke or it could be the crowd I mean, and you can analyze is, those three factors. The thing is, is that if you've been doing comp, like we've both been doing it now, you've been how how many years in are you now? You're like four, almost four, three, four. I think four, yeah, four or five, give or four. take COVID. So you've been doing it long enough to know that your comedic instincts have validity, right? Like, you, how how often do you find something hilarious and no one else finds it hilarious? It's probably pretty rare. Well, it's like when I write like, well, like everyone like writes a joke and they'll think it's good and then they go do it and it bombs like that. That still happens. Yeah, but I, yeah. I think that if you've been doing comedy uh, for like years, which we both have at this point, we, I think that our comedic instincts are at least at a point where when we think there is a joke or a premise that there's something to it that could be funny. I think that 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 it's more off, more than likely that that there is something there, and it's just more of a if it's not immediately, you know. Sometimes when you come up with a joke, it's like 
perfectly written immediately, right? Yeah. And sometimes it takes like, I know there's something here. It's just whether or not you're willing to bomb enough trying to figure it out. And But sometimes when you do figure it out, those end up being really, really good bits because it's they're usually a little bit more depth to them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, sometimes it's just practically impossible to figure out why it's not working. Sometimes yeah. it could be, it could be like one time I figured out it was literally the facial expression I made before the punchline had to be different than the facial expression I had when I delivered the punchline. Yeah. To change my facial, like. It's very, it's very wild. small details. The delivery yeah. I found, there's this joke that I've been doing for a long time and it usually, it's a very, it was like, maybe like, like probably 50 50 it would hit mm-hmm. it would hit more when i first started it because i think i had more enthusiasm but then lately i've been i've been saying one short sentence before the in the setup in a different cadence and it's been working way better and i don't even know Very why so it's like sometimes you just got to try and you just got to try doing stuff a little bit differently and you might hit upon something and then sometimes I'll write mm-hmm. a joke and I'll think this is the this is the big laugh, this line right here. <laughs> and then the big laugh is a different line entirely. And I'm like, well, I don't even, I didn't really think that would be the funny part. <laughs> I guess that's the funny part. It's it's so weird how that happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's, very but it's definitely strange. one of those things where well, at least I think for our, our style of comedy, it's like you got to, it's like a, trying to get quicker, a quicker lap on a, on an F1 vehicle. You got to figure out exactly how to hit every <laughs> curb the right way to get the maximum impact. And sometimes it takes a while to figure it out. Uh, yeah. You know, it can literally be as simple as a facial expression or the inflection of a single word can make a joke or break a joke. It's, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. It can be. It can be looking at people in the audience and making eye contact with people. It can be yeah. tons of things, tons Just of variables. the energy level, even the volume of whatever word you're saying, whatever the punchline yeah. can be, deli- any punchline can be delivered in a bunch of different ways. And sometimes yeah. you have to <laughs> try all those ways to figure out the one that works the best. Yes. So are you on uh, threads, Jordan? Are you on the new app? I am not on threads. I never got on Twitter and I'm reluctant to get on threads. <laughs> but I mean, I'm, it's basically I'm, just facebook statuses at this point like really that's basically what all it is yeah and then people uh, trying to use it as twitter to post like political stuff what what do you think about this elon musk versus uh uh zuckerberg beef that's happening right now oh this is just this is just two rich guys milking well okay i, I won't go i won't say they're they're i don't think I don't know if this benefits both of them. It might benefit both of them. I don't know. Um, I think I think Zuckerberg is just like a like a very ruthless businessman, and he's just taking this opportunity to try and destroy Elon's public image because mm. I think a lot of Elon's wealth is yeah. actually not tied to his uh, business success. Businesses, it's tied to people's perception of him. Right, and so if you he is the take people's perception of him, he is the business. Man. Yeah, and so if Zuck can clown him and just make him look like an idiot, um, he'll, you know, he might uh, lose a lot of his power. 
Maybe. I hate Let's that these two are like the main people <laughs> Maybe on our this planet is right now. Just trying to become popular. <laughs> See, the thing is, is like I from I, I, I spend too much time on Reddit and Reddit really hates Elon Musk these days. They used oh, to yeah. love him. They used to think he was our savior. And now they really fucking hate him. Yeah. Um, but uh, some of the stuff he posts on his Twitter, it just does seem very juvenile and and reckless. Um, yeah, he's he's really immature. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like what he's done with SpaceX and Tesla is, I mean, it's undeniably impressive. But is it really yeah, him? SpaceX is amazing. Well, yeah. he's not like, he's like the executive who, um, he's like the CEO. He's like the public face of the company. Yes. He's there to get investors. But um, how much credit like, should we give him for the success of like a rocket landing? I I honestly have no idea. Like, um, like would they have been able to do that and get all the funding for it without him? Like maybe they needed him for funding. Yeah. They don't, he's not the ideas guy. Like he's not in there like, Oh, this is how you make the rocket land back on earth. Like he's not doing that. Yeah. So for a while, I think that's what a lot of people thought was going on. Like I thought he kind of like designed the electric car, the Tesla. Yeah. He, he, yeah. He had a a public perception of him was that he was uh, a genius. Yeah. Like an invent. Yeah. Genius inventor. Yeah. And, uh, but really he's just kind of a big, he's a, he's a money bag. He's a money bag. He's a smart, he's a smart, I mean, yeah. I think you do have to be a smart businessman to become that wealthy. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it helps to start with a big amount of wealth as well, but yeah, from your emerald mine in South Africa. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. He's just been, I mean, he just, everything I see coming out of his uh, Twitter tweeting is, just makes me think he's a bit of a douchebag. Yeah. He's like an old school capitalist. Um, like you, you see him like always saying like, like he was saying, what did he, he posted recently? Um, the right to vote only people with children should have the right to vote. That's what he said. What? Yeah. See, it's like, do you think for more than one second before you say this stuff? That's so, so dumb. Well, yeah, it's, it's dumb, but it, it is, it's consistent with his belief that like, the biggest problem facing the world is lack of population growth. He thinks that's the biggest problem. Yeah. I've never even heard that. I've only heard of overpopulation. No, no. He, what, what, what is the big concern now among, or at least like people like him who, who think this is a problem and like, it is a problem like Canada. It's a short-term problem. Like can that's why Canada is importing so much immigration. Uh, because of labor shortages, because there's not enough people, but it's all about just like the economy is like this beast that needs to constantly keep growing, or else it'll it doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. So if you're an old school capitalist, you need more and more people so businesses can keep growing and 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 whatnot. Um, so that's uh, that's what he wants. He wants like continued growth until we have to leave Earth because it's just too crowded. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, uh, he's not trying just... to save humanity. He's trying to keep making money off of humanity and then make money off of people on Mars too. What? 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 <laughs> like he has a, he has effectively unlimited amount of money. So why does he need to make more? 
like what what is that drive inside of him if you he Gross. might as well have Gross. the infinity symbol in his bank account it's not about how much you have it's about how much you can keep getting like it's just like this is like having stuff coming in is what he likes he doesn't like having a ton of stuff he likes having tons of stuff always coming in i think i he think that's likes, like what they just like seeing that number go up and up and up they yeah they like seeing the number go up yeah they don't they don't care what the balance is they just want it to always be going up that's so it's a, that's a sickness that right there is a sickness yeah. that that is well, he, uh, that's how he responded to zuckerberg's shirtless pick did you see I that pick that with zuckerberg <laughs> izzy and volk yeah holy shit dude he's um, ripped now I know. I'm almost. I'm almost at his level. I'm almost Shut there. Up. No, no you're wait not. till you. Oh, dude. Wait, dude. Are you wait. jacked right now? <laughs> Have you been working out? Oh my god, I've been like a fiend. Really? Yeah, dude. You're gonna have a fun. You're gonna have a fun summer when you come back here. <laughs> it's gonna be good. But that's what Musk's reply to that pick was. I'm worth like two fifty billion or whatever, and he's worth a hundred billion. I know, yeah, which is just like, it's, again, both of those numbers might as well be infinity symbols, if you ask me. Yeah, they make no, yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's like, okay. so much money. Yeah, it's it's still, that's such a weak response, I think, still. Yeah, it's very weak. It's like, I have 200 billion, he's only got 100 billion. Ugh, whatever. I hope they fight. uh, They're not actually going to fight in Rome or anything. Um and I think in two or three months, Elon will have some new, uh, some new like thing that he'll be hyping up. Yeah. Like before the Zuck fight, what was he? He was obsessed with something else. Well, was, it was the whole Twitter disaster. Oh yeah, Twitter. Uh, right. Yeah. He yeah. bought Twitter. He was doing that for about six months. Yeah. Then he did the. There was the Zuck, Zuck Musk thing. And I think that when I think by now people realize that's not going to happen. <laughs> you don't think they're actually going to fight? No, I don't think Musk is. Uh, I don't think he looks like he could physically get in shape. No, he has that like real dense, like made of clay, but like not sculpted. <laughs> like, cl- <Yeah>. like <laughs> Zuckerberg looks like someone sculpted him out, out of clay. And then Elon Musk looks like that's just the raw clay that delivered to your doorstep before you work it at all. <laughs> yeah. He's, his body makes no sense. Like it's bizarre. He doesn't have any, he doesn't have any visible fat, but he just look, he's just so bloated and like, like it's uh, so weird. But I feel like if you if you if you hit him, like if you punched him, it would just be it would feel like punching a sandbag. <laughs> just a pale, pale sandbag. Ugh. I mean, that's he oh. just has a he's just a, he's just a well. Big, should we should we a, get into it? Yeah, actually, I want to say one. Th- I don't know if I've I brought this up on the podcast yet about my comedy album. Do-do-do-do. I will. Well, it's basically official. I just got a sign on the dotted line. I'm going to be recording a comedy album with 604 Records out of Vancouver. Um, oh, shit. Probably end of the year. Got to get the, the venue and the dates locked in, but I've been in con- in communication with the president of the record label, and he likes Snoop Doggy Dog. Yep, Snoop Dogg's going to sign me. Nice. So I'm going to be on Death, Death Row, Row Records. <laughs> um, no, but it is, it's a cool thing. It'll be 
uh, nice to have like the resources of an actual label as far as like promoting and actually earning an income with comedy. Yeah. Um, so that's exciting. My friend yeah. Andrew Crone just did the same actually. Uh, he's the reason Hell I yeah. got the opportunity. So thank you, Andrew. Crone. Um, Crone put me on his show when they were watching him record his album because he wanted them to see me too. And it, it went exactly to his devious plan. <laughs> they saw me and they said, you, we want you next. Damn. And uh, so that's what's going to happen. And there's some other exciting stuff going down in our city, comedy-wise. I will be headlining this Saturday if this podcast gets out before ba, then, ba, ba, ba. which I think it will. I'll send it to you ASAP. Um, so if you're in Kelowna, Kelowna, BC, Saturday, July 15th, 830 Yours truly headlining, doing a whole hour. God damn, 60 minutes. 60 minutes. Um, so yeah, anyways, that's that, that was my exciting comedy news. Um, and I'll be coming to your city in November, it sounds like, Sam. So Ooh, okay. I have yet to do any comedy in the big T dot, which is arguably the capital of comedy in our country. So it'd be nice to kind of do you know what venues you'd be doing? Not yet. I'm in communication with a comedian there um, who's going to be setting it up because he's going to be coming here to do spots. And it's kind of like a foreign exchange student type deal, but with comedy. Who's the who's the comic, if I may ask? Uh, I don't remember his or name. Or is it not, not on air? Ite. It's Ite. Do you know an Ite? Ite Cooperman. Oh, yeah. I know him. He's cool. You do? Okay. Yeah, yeah he seems like a nice guy. So Yeah, he's a, he's a very nice. He's legit. He's a legit so, guy. Okay. That's good to know. It's good to know because there's so many crazy people in the industry and you don't really, sometimes you don't know you've been dealing with someone who's out of their mind until you meet them face to face and you go, oh. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so, good to know. Anyways, yeah, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Enough chit chat. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing. Like we were talking a little bit Hello? before about like voting and stuff like that. And oh, to cut out again. Yeah, oh, man. it's right. fine because the listeners will hear everything you say. I just can't hear it. So what? Oh. What what'd you say? Well, I said it's good that we like sort of started talking about voting and stuff because for this week our topic is the political philosophy of John Locke. John Locke. You know, Locke. I have heard the name. And wasn't yeah, wasn't one of the characters in the show Lost yes. named after him? Yes, there were two characters in Lost named after philosophers. There's John Locke, who was the bald guy with the scar, the who could miraculously walk after yeah. crashing. And then there was the French woman who had been surviving on the island by herself for years, named Rousseau. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, the show and uh, the show sort of weirdly, um, sort of like flipped their characters around a bit. But anyway, yeah. So he's famous from that show. It's probably where you know him from. Um, he's also probably the most influential political philosopher ever. And when we talk about him, we'll be able to see how a lot of our current ideas of like right and left political spectrum are sort of debates that started with John Locke. So he's. He's most famous for his opposition to slavery, authoritarianism of the state and the church, and his major focuses were freedom, revolution, 
and the distinction between natural and divine law. Sounds pretty gangster. Sounds like a real gangster to me. Yeah, he was he was a pretty gangster guy. If you look at a picture of him, I think he's one of those. He's from the Whig era when people wore wigs. What a strange era in men's fashion. Oh, actually, no. He's he doesn't have a wig in any of his portraits. Oh. He had a uh, he had some nice flowing locks, actually. John locks. John locks. What color was his hair? Uh, looks white or blonde. Oh. The what was the wig thing? The powdered wigs. What the fuck was that about? Uh, I think it was supposed to hide your syphilis holes in your skull. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's nowadays actually what they it was would just if someone from now imagine someone from like Florida got transported back into that time, they would just think it's a one giant drag show. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Oh man! Imagine, imagine them going to Versailles. Oh man! Oh my god. It, yeah, I know. It's like some of these conservative ideas, they just they think that like they just if they went to so many different times in history, they would be like, what? What the I thought this type of thing was new. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Um, OK, so so here's a so Locke was writing at a time when slavery was still the norm in the world. The British kingdom empire was doing all that stuff. And Locke was very very opposed to it. And here's a great quote from Locke. He says, quote, slavery is so vile and miserable, a state of man, and so directly opposite to the generous temper and courage of our nation, that it is hardly to be conceived that an Englishman, much less a gentleman, should plead for it. Nice. He brings your, he brings your uh, patriotism. He, 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 uh, he, what is it called when he like lock? He like fervor. Your he zeal. like ties in patriotism to his point, right? A true yes. patriot would never agree to this. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. And th- this was a big deal because at the time, uh, slavery was totally normal and it was considered justified as well. And the justification at the time was actually based on religion. So. At the time of Locke, England was a monarchy, and it was believed that monarchs, the only like justified form of government was a monarchy where the monarch was divinely appointed by God. It's called the divine right of kings. Have you heard of that before? Yeah. I mean, yeah. all of the all of the Old Testament, God was pretty freaking chill with the slavery. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like um, a set of rules how to treat your slaves properly. Yeah, and 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 the so the simple argument is straight out of the Bible which is human beings are all God's property. And God gave Adam absolute dominion over the earth and all kings are descendants of Adam or all legitimate kings of the divine right are descendants of Adam. And so People are all the property of the monarch in virtue of the monarch having the divine right of God. And so, look, if we're all property, might as well be my property. So are you saying that only the king could truly own slaves or is it just become, did it become, oh, the king no, signed off on my slaves, on me no, being everyone, a slave? No, everyone is a slave of the king. Everybody. Just some Everyone's people are more slaves than others. 
Uh, That's the idea. We're all slaves. But more than just, just the kings could own slaves, right? Yeah, but they could only own it on the permission of the king. It's the king's yeah. permission. Like so, the king owns everything. You just sort of get it by permission. Yeah, that's so that that's was the like, divine monarchy idea. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it makes sense to me. Yeah. So, so Locke wrote what's what was called the polemic, which is which we do this all the time today. People think saying mean things about your political opponents is new. It's not. Um, unfortunately, today most people are just dumb, but. <laughs> Yeah. He wrote a polemic and he said, like, basically their argument is that all government is absolute monarchy and no man is born free. That's that's the argument of the divine monarchists. Right. And so this is what Locke was going against. Interestingly, Locke agrees that all people are like the, the property of their creator, which in his mind would have been. Uh, the God, but he profoundly disagreed that everyone is born enslaved to an, a human monarch. According to Locke, people, God created people to survive and flourish. And the means to achieve that end are life, liberty, health, and property. Hence, all human beings have the right to life, liberty, health, and property. And according to Locke, those rights are called natural law. Ah. Yeah. And that's different from, so what is natural law? Natural law is law that refers to all people in all times throughout history and all places in the world. And that's obviously very different from what philosophers would call positive law, which are laws that like courts and legislatures and kings passed and they only apply to people under cer certain circumstances right so universal rights a human right essentially is what we would we would yeah, refer to yeah, that it's, yeah it's like the modern uh conception of a human right you can see it in this natural law thing right um, of course the justification for human rights does not include the idea that we're all created by god for a divine purpose owned That's by god for human rights. <laughs> God slave. God slave. <laughs> God slave. It sounds like a, uh, you know, a late nineties rock band. God slave. God yeah. slave. <laughs> Christian rock band. Yeah. <laughs> God slaves. <laughs> all, all white, all white guys, of course. <laughs> all white guys. They all wear white t-shirts. They have gelled spiked hair. Puka shell necklaces underneath. They their, they... Yeah, they wear a shackle. <laughs> and they break them during the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, you remember the, like the guys that would come and they were like strong men and they'd come and rip phone books in half and, you know, do feats of strength. Oh, my God. And, pre yeah. and preach the word. Yeah. Shit was dope. <laughs> Ripping a phone book in half is just frightening. Well, there's a tech, there's like a trick to it. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. It's not, it's it, like, crease it first. 
there's like a way you can bend it where a gap will appear down like the crease in between each page. And that's like, then you're not really ripping all of the pages in one go. You're kind of quickly ripping all of them individually. Oh, I get it. So I've seen that been be done by regular people if they know the right technique. Nice. Interesting. It's the uh, blowing up a hot water bottle till it explodes. Now that, that to me seems dangerous. I mean, if you stop blowing and that all gets pushed back into you, I can only imagine that's very, very bad. Oh, that would blow up your lungs, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, I've heard of people trying to inhale helium straight from the tank to get the high voice and just completely exploding their lungs. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. So oh. Don't try that. Don't try that, kid. You're and then there. you're dying. You're dying oh. with a chipmunk voice. <laughs> Oh, no, no. <laughs> the tell, tell my wife and kids I love them. <laughs> uh, I've watched some great uh, like deep sea diving videos where the divers are all mic'd up. Yeah. And they're all breathing. They have to breathe a helium mix. Oh. And so all their voices are like, okay, we're going to turn around the bunker <laughs> about 5,000 meters, 200 feet. Okay, Jim, what do you see it over there? <laughs> <laughs> what why are they breathing a helium mix just pressure uh yeah exactly it's a uh, pressure the when you get to a certain depth the gases in your tank are going to be under if it was the if you brought the air from the surface yeah. down to that depth the your body i don't think your body would be able is able to absorb the gases so you need to mix it with you need to mix the oxygen with other uh, with other gases like helium, so you can breathe. Is it. that called saturated diving? Like, isn't there one when um, you go to a certain depth, you actually have to go down and live at that depth before you can actually leave the capsule? Yeah. So saturate. Yeah, saturation diving is they the divers don't the divers get in like a pressurized tank on the surface, and they. And that tank um, is like is pressurized, and then that tank is dropped down to the bottom of the ocean. So you can be in that tank, and then they're in that, and then they live in that tank at the bottom because when you go up from super deep, yeah, you have to go up very slowly, or the nitrogen will bubble in your blood. And the because bends. they have to spend so much time down there working, it would just mm-hmm. be impractical to send them up and down every day. So they just drop them down well, in the tank and they live most sat diving is conducted between 65 feet and a thousand feet yeah the, de- the decompression from these depths takes approximately one day per 100 feet of seawater plus a day yeah so it takes eight days of decompression if you yeah. dive 650 feet yeah and it's like it's there are so many horror stories of things going wrong oh yeah i can only imagine dude <laughs> i just i don't understand i would i would weigh I honestly feel like I would be safer going to space. Hmm. I mean, it's not, it's pretty much the same. Yeah. It's not, it's not too different in terms of the danger. Mm-hmm. It's not too different at all. Like when they're in these, pre- like even on the surface, they're in, well, there was one time they were, they had come up. And so they're in the tank on the surface and I forget how it happened, but there something in the tank broke and exposed the, the pressurized tank to the outside world yeah and everyone inside was just killed instantly 
That's the one positive about these high pressure deaths is that it's very <laughs> quick. It's very, it's very, quick. very quick. It's, it's instantaneous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is quick. <laughs> you are dead right away. Yeah. There was a great uh, one recently on video. A bunch of divers got sucked into a pipe through the, the delta pressure differential. Uh, but they all survived. But it's just insane how fast it goes from like brightly lit room to like darkness and like in like seconds. That's yeah, scary. Wow. Oh, I saw this video, uh, just a little tangent on scary videos. It was this guy, I think it was on Reddit. It was probably on Reddit. That's where I'd spend most of my time. Reddit or YouTube is where I am living when I'm not doing other shit. Um, but I've actually been reading a lot of books this year, way more books this year than I have in previous years. Anyways, it was this video of this guy cave diving and he's, he's under, I don't know how deep he is, but he's shimmying in this tiny crack. And he's like, there's a little bit of water underneath of him too. And he's scraping literally his chest and his back against the floor and ceiling. And then he, the water reflection had made him think that it was widening up. But in fact, it was getting more and more narrow until he got stuck. And it was an illusion from the little bit of water on the ground. Uh. And it is a, a, it is an anxiety inducing video. He does get out, but it's like terrifying when it's happening because he's real. He's like the horror on his face when he realized that he was he was essentially lurching forward towards his own demise. Oh, terrifying. That's horrible. Yeah. Horrible. Anyways, get back to lock. What's back going to lock. on? Lock and key. Um, divine law. Right. Divine law, natural law. Right. So. So the law of the day was the usually divine law. Um, and then there's natural law. And these are different. And yeah, we were talking about that. Um, right. So natural law, these are right to life, liberty, property, happiness. And then divine law would be everything written in the Bible, for example. And for Locke, the stuff in the Bible cannot contradict the natural law. So you have to interpret biblical passages so that they don't contradict natural law. So this was like, he he had to do this a lot because he was in a very religious time. And Mm -hmm. so people were arguing that, look, the king has this right because God gave him dominion over the earth. And they would read this from the Bible. Quote, And God blessed them and said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And Locke says, from there, the author concludes that Adam, having here dominion giving him over all creatures, was therefore monarch over the whole world. But Locke examines the text and shows that in the original Hebrew, Every living thing that moveth upon the earth refers to the irrational land creatures that God created on the sixth day, e.g. reptiles and insects. And all these were created before humans. So humans are not included under the things that Adam has authority over. And so there is no divine right of kings, even in the Bible. And that was well, the argument. <laughs> I mean, nowadays, most people are experts and the most modern religious people are especially christianity are just experts at picking and choosing and interpreting things how they need it to be interpreted 
interpreted to fit their needs. So Locke was just ahead of the game. Yeah, he, he was way ahead of the game. Uh, I mean, how does he how does he defend the instances in the Old Testament where God's literally giving instructions on how to care for your slaves? Hmm. I haven't. Uh, I didn't look that deep into the second treatise, but let me just do a quick find. Um, I can't answer that right now because I'd have to read this. I'll read this thing. We can answer that next next week. Next week, next week. But thanks. Thank you for the question. That's a good question. Excuse me. Um, you are cutting out a lot this week. I cannot. I like it's not good. Anyways, we'll just keep plowing. Man, I'm sorry. I'm I'm getting more RAM for my computer. I don't know if that's going to help. But... <laughs> yeah, it might just be a Wi-Fi router thing or something. Well, yeah, I am. It is just Wi-Fi hardwire. Upload speed. Yeah, I mean, I could probably hardwire if I if I dug into my electrical abilities. I could probably run a wire over to the okay. router. But anyways, all right, moving on. So. So we've got, we've got some components. We've got natural law. We've got some rights. And now Locke has to start to explain government. How, does, how do we get a government? What do we need it for? What's the point? So you may remember the idea of a state of nature from Thomas Hobbes, where he's got this thing where life is nasty, brutish, and short. Do you, do you recall that sort of state of nature? <sighs> I remember talking about Hobbes like two years ago now, probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Hobbes had this idea when you're, when you're doing political philosophy, you try and think of like, okay, what was the world like before government? Why did we need to come up with a government? And so for Hobbes, he was like, well, before government, it must've just been person against man against man in this brutal, nasty war of all against all. Locke has a very different idea. And then, and then Rousseau's state of nature was actually like more of like a utopia. And then Locke is a bit different from both of them. So for Locke, before we had a, a government, people lived together according to reason, without a common superior, with authority to judge between them. So, and he thought that this was historically accurate. Like when people said, look, where have anyone, where has anyone ever lived like that? He would say, it's definitely happened somewhere. I don't mm. know exactly where, but he seemed to think it had happened somewhere. Right. And there are a lot of interpretations, but um, I like this one from Michael Dunn from 1969 that says Locke, Locke's uh, argument is meant to show that although God created human beings, God did not create governments. Instead, humans created governments. So that's... That's that on the state of nature. There's not much there. Anything you want to add to the state of nature? No, I, um, I don't, I don't, I don't have anything to add. <laughs> not, not yet. I think I caught most of what you were saying. This cutting out thing is really killing me today. Oh man. But, uh, essentially slavery is bad and it's not sanctioned by the Bible slavery according bad. to John Locke. So now we can talk about. No. Well, yeah, I, I don't know. I need to look more into that because like it clear, I mean, it, the Bible talks about it. Um, 
yeah, so he's definitely, he's got to say something there. But anyway, that's, that's for another time. So for property. So this is another influential contribution from Locke about property. So for Locke, property includes your life and your liberty. Oh. Yeah. And why is that? Well, it goes back to so much of this like pre and so much of this like enlightenment stuff involves appeals to God, right? So the idea is that God created us to have dominion over ourselves. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be born free according to Locke? It means you own yourself. You are your own property. Right. That's what being born free means. And as your own property, uh, yeah, you get to decide what to do with yourself. But anyway, yeah, so so for Locke, all property theories have two parts. The first part of the theory is what makes it legitimate to have property in the first place. And then the second part of the theory are what are the conditions on what you can do with your property once you have it. So what what is what grounds the right to own property? So in this time, they thought, look, well, Locke is thinking, look, God made the earth for everybody. But if God made the earth for everybody, what gives me the right to point at something and say, hey, that's mine, and you will be lawfully punished if you take it from me? Yeah, I and mean, here, what, <laughs> like, I like that point, you know? You didn't make this value. You didn't make this acreage. God did. So it's mine too. And I'm going to host a music festival on it. And we're not going to clean up after. Oh, so yeah. Fuck Woods, off Woodstock. with your fence. Yeah. <laughs> it is kind of a stoner thing. Yeah. yeah. You, can't put a, you can't own a lake, man. You can't <laughs> own mountains, dude. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So. So Locke's solution to that is not super convincing, but this is what he came up with. Um, and his answer is labor. So here's, here's how it works. Humans are free. They own themselves. They own their labor. Their labor is their property. So when you mix your labor with the land, maybe like you plant some seeds, the land becomes connected to your existing property, your labor. And that is the only way you can legitimately acquire property. Right. You got to work the land or else it's just, or it's not yours. You got to put some labor into it. Yes. So that's what grounds it. That's the legitimacy. How did you get it? I got it through labor. And then part two, the condition. What makes it, uh, what can you do? What kind of things can you acquire, et cetera? So he has three conditions. You can only appropriate as much as you can use before it spoils. You must leave enough and as good for others. And finally, you can only get it through your own labor. So no stealing. So yeah, I, there you th go. that first part, I don't, you gotta, you gotta walk me through that. Uh, you, can, you gotta leave it as good for others. So if you have, property and you're going to leave you got to leave it as you found it is that what it is mm, no so it's like so i don't know like how accurate this is economically or whatever if this is accurate about Locke, but he seems to think that like there's only so much stuff to go around 
So if you're going to get some property for yourself, you better not take it all. You better not leave enough for other people to also get some. Like he's thinking of like the earth is like this big garden that we got from God. Yeah. And it wouldn't be right for one person to take all of this stuff and keep it for themselves. That's not what God would have wanted. God wants us to share this stuff. So if you take something, you better leave enough for other people to have some too. That's the idea. Uh, I see. I see. Don't be a, don't be greedy. Get don't back be greedy. To greed. Yeah. yeah. And then the first part too is also like, again, it's like we've been given this. So again, it would not be good to just take a bunch and waste it and not use it. You, you can see he's like, he's like the whole theory is based on, um, communist. Like receiving this. Communist. No, 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 no. It's not communist. <laughs> It's not John Locke's a communist. No, he is not a communist. Because he's, he's saying you can't have property. The communists would say you cannot have property. He's saying we can we can take this stuff because, but only because it was given to us by a divine creator, and we have to like respect it. Right. We're given this stuff to share. Like you yeah, can have it. You can have stewards property. of the of the earth. Yeah, it's kind of like that. It's kind of like that. Um, as I look back in my backyard that's completely overgrown with weeds and my fruit trees that are like dying because I haven't pruned them and I don't know what I'm doing. You have fruit trees? Yeah, I got uh, two plum, uh, no, two pear, plum, two nectarine, two cherry. Six fruit trees? Um, actually, it's more than that. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten dude, fruit you're trees. A fucking, you're a farmer now, <laughs> dude. I'm not. I am not <laughs> confident with this land. I am. John Locke would hate me. Man, uh, what is your tax situation like? You must just be killing it. Tax situation? Can you get like? Don't you get uh, great tax benefits if your land is farmland? Are you zoned as farm or residential? I have no idea. This is uh, Mama Strauss. I think if you have there, fruit no. trees on your property, you might. Be able to get some tax benefit. Or Maybe something. that's why they're even. That's the that might be the only reason they're even back here. Honestly, Maybe they just like fruit. Uh, I mean, fruit trees are fun. Uh, I forgot. I didn't spray them. them in time, so the, our first batch of cherries was just infested with worms. So nectarines look like they're coming in. Ew! Oh my god. According to my friend Evan Riley, who apparently knows about fruit trees, he says that cherries are usually the only ones that are like really an issue with the worms and stuff. He said the nectarines mm. should be good. The plums mm. are like suspiciously tiny. I don't know what's going on there. I don't think the plum trees are really having a good year. Or sorry, mm. the pear trees. Or maybe mm. they don't they don't freaking ripen until late in the season. I don't know anything about anything here. So I'm just looking at it, you know thinking about how you're supposed to be taking care of your land. <laughs> yeah. John Locke would, would say, uh, well, yeah, I don't know. Cause yeah, I don't know. I wonder what he would say about like inheritance. Like you didn't labor for your inheritance technically. I mean, you should be able to like build up something to hand on to your kids. That's like, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. You can give someone your property. Right. But he said you can only acquire it through labor. That's got to be a mistake. You got to be able to gift things. That must be a mistake in the person who summarized it. Huh. Interesting. Encyclopedia. What do they know? 
the hell do they know? <laughs> yeah. And then, um, yeah, so that's his, his theory of property. And finally, we get to his maybe simplest idea, but it may be one of his most important. And that is the uh, what makes a government itself legitimate. And there's sort of two parts to that. Again, what grounds the legitimacy? And then what conditions are there and what they can do? And it seems pretty simple. I mean, there's tons of disagreement over it, and I'm probably oversimplifying it a lot. But it seems kind of simple that, broadly speaking, a government is legitimate if people consent to it. And the government's actions are legitimate if they don't contradict the natural law and they don't contradict their own laws. But of course, you can go deep into the details on what counts as consent. For example, most people don't vote. Does that mean they don't consent to their government? And does that mean that their government is not legitimate? That doesn't seem at all like Locke wanted that to be the case. Because when Locke was around only property owners could could like participate in the house of lords so to speak right um so Locke's sort of solution to this is the idea of tacit consent and in fact his bar for consent basically seems to just be not unwilling not unwilling yeah and that that's a good summary from uh, uh, what's her name? Hen uh, Lin- Linton. I can't remember the name. Hen. Her uh, name's Hen. Oh, Hannah Pitkin. Oh, Hannah. Hannah Pitkin. 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 Yeah, just for Locke, it's just that you're not really unwilling, and. So Locke himself would argue that, like, look, if you even if you don't vote, even if you don't explicitly consent to your government, if you go out and walk down the highway that your government built, and then you uh, live in a house with electricity that the government produces and stuff like that, that that's tacit consent. Right. You're using you're 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 uh, taking advantage of the, what the government's providing, whether or not you've voted or not. Yeah. Exactly. Um, of course, there's plenty of people who live uh, who live in a government. Like I don't know if, if like how strong that is, but that's that's sort of his position. And it yeah, it just seems to be like, look, if you're not totally unwilling, you're consenting. Right. But he's also pretty uh, pretty clear that like the government is not legitimate if it is breaking natural laws and not. Uh, protecting the public good and in that case even if you consent it doesn't make it legitimate right and in fact for Locke you are totally justified in violent revolution fucking badass dude <laughs> well yeah I mean <laughs> it's, it's like how how far did like I think most uh, civilized countries like imagine if imagine if tomorrow our government started going out and doing like an ethnic cleanse I'm pretty sure it would be um, almost instantaneous violent re- rebellion. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because we're a population for the most part that are well-fed and healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
it's not like they're starting to do this stuff when we're already like a destitute population. Most Canadians are educated, yeah. are educated to some degree. Well, think school. about yeah, and I mean, they're also health in a healthy like no, not most Canadians. I think are you know they're fed every day. They have a sound mind and body. They're not going to put up with a government just suddenly doing like going against human rights on like a mass scale. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, and and they would be totally justified, but it's interesting because this like the most recent example of this I can think of is the January 6th thing where you have the sort of Lockean arguments about legitimacy is based on consent and government is only legitimate if it respects natural rights and the public good. Mm -hmm. So in this case, in the January 6th case, basically people were manipulated into thinking that uh, the government did not have the consent of the people to exist because all the votes were not counted and, and stuff. Right. And and it, yeah. And so that you, gives you'd you think that you, if like if you were there on January 6th and you look around, I'm sure it looked like a lot of people, but you would think that if it was really that, like the majority of Americans thought this was a fraud, there would be a lot bigger crowd there. Oh yeah, definitely. The, but the, the, the problem is that the, there are people there, but even, even so there are lots of people who weren't there, mm-hmm. but who would, who still think it was fine. But these, these arguments give people, even though they're like, they're false premises, but the, the conclusion that you get from them seems valid to you because our entire uh, system is sort of based on like modern democracy is really based on Locke's ideas about consent and uh, protecting the public good. And so when you violate those or when you can convince people that the government does not have their consent and is not protecting the public good, then you unlock this thing of revolution that is sort of buried into how we think of, you know, like democracy. Mm. So it's, uh, that just shows you how influential and powerful John Locke was as a thinker that so much of what is going on today with like our, you know, what are people's rights? How much Liberty should we have, um, without, you know, conflicting with other people and things like that. And, you know, how much, how much are you, your own person that you can determine, what you want to be all this stuff is always coming to a head. And a lot of it has its seeds with John Locke. Hmm. Well, there you have it folks. John Locke, real player in the philosophy game, political philosophy game, real player. Yeah. All, 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 all star team. Well, the Mount Rushmore <laughs> Mount political, philosophy. political philosophy. All no, right. Well, <laughs> are you? Uh, do you have anything else to add? We're just about out of time here. Um. No, not really. I don't. I don't know. No, nothing. I'm going to see Oppenheimer, July 21st. Oh, nice. So we'll do a atomic bomb episode. Well, that would be. That's very, you know, relevant to our time. 
Yeah. Apparently, there's supposed to be a nuclear reactor that's going to get bombed tonight in Ukraine. Oh, Zaporizhia? Jap- I don't know the name of it, but I just no, saw they, they, they keep No, they, they, if it happens, you're not going to get a, you're not going to get a heads up. <laughs> well from what i what i heard it's like russia saying that ukraine is going to do it and ukraine saying russia is going to yeah, do they've it they've been so. going back and forth on this for literally for months yeah because they think russia will do it because they blew up that dam as well well fucking hey. all right well i gotta get ready for a show uh, we'll talk to you guys next week all right peace out